Cavalcade Audio Productions presents Star Drifter, the science fiction patio book series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Book Two, Street Candles. Today's installment, Chapter 37. Steady on, Ejok, Carmi commanded. After that, she switched away to a private hailing channel. With Superior, the only other ship in the neighborhood that we could talk to in real time, she had to be chatting with Alan Small. Which was strange. She had given him a pretty clear image, I'm sure, of how she felt about him. But Carmichael Maynard could do whatever she had to for the sake of her ship. She could do the impossible, like work with a murderer. Small wouldn't be likely to try anything shady now, with the eyes of not one but two major battle groups focused on us. Nonetheless, the scent of money was in the ether, and that can make people do extraordinary things. Though the new arrivals were far off just yet, we wouldn't even be able to read their transponders for a couple of hours, I rather hoped their presence had a dampening effect on the fire of human greed. Like with Deskew's force, Fleet kept up a flurry of back-and-forth graviton cones as fast couriers and mail dispatches relayed messages to various departments that required continual updates. And also like its smaller but determined counterpart from over the border, it moved closer in with every second that passed. The drone, for its part, hadn't changed behavior at all, being thoroughly unimpressed with AIN fleet movements or automated warnings. This was rather impressive, in a creepy, deadly sort of way. Right about now, Alan Small would be weighing options like a demon, deciding where his best chance of survival lay versus the possible gains in playing the odds. I honestly had no idea which way he'd jump, but I was busy myself thinking about all the laws and regulations Fleet could use to screw with a lone tramp freighter in an interdiction zone. It was a long few minutes, and I just sat and listened to Griselda's people chatting nervously on in-ship channels, each of us hoping someone had up-to-the-second data or previously unknown information. I didn't volunteer anything because all I had going on at that point was one nagging suspicion. Candy, I called, opening a side channel. Have you had a chance to finish that research I asked for? What? Oh, sure, Jock. Hold on. A moment later, a directory appeared in the gunnery inbox. You know, she added, I didn't realize the economy over there was so bad. What do you mean? Imports and exports from those worlds are down at least 9% over the last five years. Part of an ongoing slump. His economy is tanking, if you ask me. I can't tell just from this if that barren guy is in serious debt, but I wouldn't be surprised. That pulls back a curtain, I said gratefully, then thanked her and rang off.
So, Baron Deskew. If he'd been willing to mobilize his entire personal fleet in order to lock up this system and maybe primarily obtain the data block, what might he do at this point to hide his tracks? The block was still pinging away. Ain Fleet would pick it up presently and begin asking questions, so the guy's options were dwindling. The drone had adjusted its slow course to continue covering both Griselda and the gunboat, and it stood off now at just over 500 kilometers. That was point-blank range for such a machine. We had about an hour until the Baron's reaction, whatever it would be, came through, and fully three before any specific instructions from fleet. That wasn't long to act before being acted upon. We were past planning out the technical aspects of this thing, and I was terrified because it was all about people at this point. Carmi came back on the open channel then and cleared her throat before speaking. This is the captain. Stand by for final matching vectors. We're making a deal with Mr. Small after all. That caused a riot of chatter on the channel from all over the ship and she had to shout us all down and demand quiet. We have no choice. Alliance fleet will lock us down entirely if we wait for them. If the Baron allows us free passage through his side of the system, we'll be away before fleet can stop us. I'd rather ask for forgiveness later than for a permission we're almost certainly not going to get right now. If Mr. Small can put in a good word in exchange for the data block, it's worth it. This is a command decision, and I'm making it. Captain out. She cut the line, and I called her immediately. I don't want to hear it, Ejok, she said without preamble, glaring. Carmi, even if we could trust Alan Small, it wouldn't matter. I then outlined what I'd learned and concluded in the last few minutes. She considered my words, then shook her head. Even so, we have to try it. What other chance do we have? I... I don't know, I admitted. Fleet is, well, fleet. They'll give us nothing but grief, I know. But Deskew has patently illegal actions to cover up, illegal even by noble space standards. She sighed, and I saw the fear again. She'd hidden it on the open channel, just as she had back on the planet. But there was no denying that it was there lurking in the quiet moments, behind the screen of an owner's meeting, chatting privately with me. It was palpable and jarring, and quite enabling of my own. I'll try to buy us some time to come up with another plan, she conceded at last. But it still means dealing with Alan Small at the moment. I won't have this ship seized or our freedom curtailed. If the creditors ever come for Griselda, well... That's one thing, but I will not have some so-called authority walk in and take away our home because of politics or asinine regulations. I had nothing better, but the idea of begging for that man's help was harsh on the tongue, and it burned going down. And he wants to talk to you again, she added after a pregnant pause. Me? Why? Probably to gloat. I guess you got under his skin. You're just going to have to smile and take it, am I clear? No, you aren't. This is ridiculous. 
Ejak DeSantos, can you perform your duty as a member of this crew or not? That stopped me. It even hurt. Maybe I wasn't always easy to get along with. And maybe I asked too many questions sometimes, and complained too much about things over which no one had control. And maybe I made poor choices when it came to personal relationships, and had something of an insubordinate streak. All those might have been real issues, but... Okay, so it was a valid question. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. Put him through. And, in a moment, before I had time to form my thoughts or rein in my anger and embarrassment, there was Small's sculptured face, bruised and gap-toothed, but smiling and lordly all the same. He launched into his own concerns before I had a chance to assume a look that could be interpreted as neutral. If he noticed, he didn't care. Maybe it even helped his mood that I was in such a low one. I'm happy we'll get to see each other again, Ejok, he told me. Maharn dipped into camera range for a moment, whispering in his ear. He nodded, then she was gone. Problem? I asked. Not at all. Just an update from Hap. We're ready here any time. How long until you can come aboard? You still want me to bring the block? Oh, yes, of course you do. Ten minutes? Excellent! Then he wrinkled his brow in what I took to be a calculated show of regret. You know, if we had been friendly, all of this could have been avoided. I tried to get close on the way in, but you were standoffish. You need to get over that, Ejok. There are opportunities in this life. I'm talking about the future here. I need good people. If you do work for an intelligence group, trust me, you are wasted in that field. You have potential, man. And with that sentence, that one true compliment from a man of machinations, from the guy spinning all the wheels, my disgust finally broke free. A torrent of bile, of fear, and yes, of hate. Pure hate. It swelled as violence swells on an embattled world, as a fire burns through a people, scoring them and gouging out the best and the worst with equal indifference, equal injustice. It filled me with a black coolness that settled my ragged breathing and made me sit straighter. I cocked my head and kept my voice even because my captain was listening in and I needed her to hear this now. I needed them all to hear it, so I flipped a switch to pipe the conversation into the open channel and everyone would follow it in their helmets. Just like Bennett Ham had potential, Mr. Small? Just like he impressed you with his eager toadiness and his romance for the mercenary life? He died on oasis in a gun battle between the enforcers of a known weapons dealer and parties unknown. You couldn't have gotten your equipment past customs back on Tyree, nor in any of the major ports. I know those places. They're tighter than drums. His smile was fading, his good humor and desire to cajole melting like frozen puddles in the meager light of a long day. You didn't even know the boy. 
Small waved me away, undenying and unrepentant, and very much unswayed by conscience. I feel like I did, I replied. Engaging, charming, in a natural way, his whole life an adventure. I've seen the type. You have too, and they can be useful on a backwater station where customs is lax. All it takes is a bribe or two and a happy, stupid go-between and your profile is kept low. You had him make the deal for the equipment, didn't you? Don't bother replying. Of course you did. He was perfect. He wanted to impress you. They always do that type. Then, with the deal done, he was just another loose end. The door to my closet opened with a violent wrench. It was Carmi. She didn't look at me through her helmet with any reproach, though she wore an expression of anger, anger composed of iron and plastic and cold armor, anger that lived in the pressure point between safety and loss, escape and confinement, freedom versus compulsion. In short, she was listening, and her hawk-like gaze that inspired such discomfort in me was now positively predatory. Likely she saw a young man in that moment whom she'd held in her heart as a wayward child. She needed to express that rage, I could see, and she wasn't the only one. Rena came into view beside her, breathing hard in her suit from a sudden sprint and her sudden, horrified emotion. What? What do you mean by this pretense? The former general demanded over the air, his voice hollow in my helmet beaming through the bulkheads and companionways of Griselda, and I think the ship itself may have shuddered in repugnance. You think you can judge my methods? As if you have clean hands! It's a dirty business, and it's not for the squeamish. I saw you down there, Ejock, and I know what kind of man you are. You must have arranged for a second meeting, I went on, unshaken, because I knew what kind of man I was too. And in that moment, it felt good. You probably told Ham you needed to buy something else. When he was sitting down with the dealer, who must have trusted him by that point because they'd already done business, you and your people just walked in with your new weapons and took them out. Two birds, one stone. So efficient. You have no idea what happened, he injected, trying to sidetrack my accusations with a sneering tone and no proof of anything. You and your team were laying low when I came aboard, I countered. The local cops were investigating the crime at that moment. It was on all the news vids. The killers wore masks and used anti-DNA spray. What's it called? A uh, privacy? You can buy that stuff in the gift shops for crying out loud. A few simple precautions and the crime scene had no connection to you or Griselda. Oh, except for that poor sweet boy from out of town. Such a tragedy. That idiot made his own choices, he shouted at last, because I can goad with the best of them. You think he did it for adventure? He wanted money, hard credit. He wanted in. He knew we were going for the dealer that night. He was fine with it. What does that say about the romance of youth? You show me an innocent man, Ejok, and I'll show you one with secrets. That was enough. It sounded like the truth, too. It felt heavy and dirty, and I just wanted it all to be gone. 
I wanted it to have never happened, which was impossible. So I longed for the next best thing and looked for my captain's permission to find it. She could have spoken out of hand. The willingness was in her eyes, partially obscured by the companionway's lights glaring off her faceplate. But she thought of her family, even in this, and turned to Rena. Strong but heartsick, wholesome but glazed with mourning, the thin, dark girl, bulky and inhuman-looking in her suit, was clearly visible through the bubble of her helmet. She was weeping again and bore a frown as deep as space. She looked from me to Carmi and then nodded. The captain locked onto my gaze through the vacuum that separated us, that separated everyone from everyone. She was distant and thunderous. Do it, she commanded, then turned on her heel back to the bridge. I glanced to Rena, still frowning, eyes glistening, stony. I turned to my console and obeyed my orders. Our missile cylinders had been ready and standing by, and the lantern guns extended. Carmi's clearance code was entered and ready. I got green lights on all my boards long before the crafty and crafted Mr. Small had even finished his preposterous argument. I had cut his audio on my end to talk with the others, and I hadn't heard what he'd been saying. Maybe, miraculously, he was feeling a pang of guilt after all, deep down somewhere. Or maybe he was just trying to keep this deal floating for as long as possible, fully expecting to persevere in the end and obtain his prize. On the command channel, Carmi ordered the bridge doors shut. Alan Small was smiling. I guess he was saying something amusing meant to assure me, to assure everyone that he was worthy of our trust. A clever something, both friendly and engaging, that would draw us in once more to his warm, easy sphere. And how could you not trust those sparkling blue eyes? He was still smiling when I engaged the aft dorsal missile tube. On a dedicated factory-installed gunnery station... Total control over the process of tracking and firing was built in and extolled in all the catalogs. But no such station had the fine-grained control of this one, and I was able to override basic functions with the addition of a few modifier flags. I shut down tube number two's drolic pump for loading and locking ordnance. This, in turn, disabled the firing sequence, though the missile system itself was still active and online. Then I hit launch. Tube number two's alignment servos just shoved the small rocket forward, one of the ordinary ones, nothing special, its engine unignited. On external opticals, it sort of drifted from the ship. I imagined it would have made a metal-on-metal metal sound in Atmo, like a pipe rolling across the deck. It would have lasted but a moment. Ejok? Carmi queried over the command channel. Rena was still standing in the door and wore a confused expression. Hold on, I whispered to the captain, to the whole crew. But my fellow steward seemed to get it immediately and she disappeared back toward the passengers. 
What was that supposed to be? Ailareda demanded fearfully, in utter perplexment. That was me, targeting them with the biggest gun around. Superior's flak cannons auto-fired on the lazy, cartwheeling salami, ripping it apart with the very first rounds. Being so close just then, the burst also hit us. Bouncing off Griselda's plastron armor, the bullets registered in my sensor feed like raindrops, just momentary points of ineffectual kinetic impact in a tight grouping upon our flank. There and then gone, but they were more than enough. Superior had been prepared for a double-cross. Its automated point-defense systems, like all such, ready and waiting, programmed to engage any target that might try to strike first. In my eye view, that contact point further out, throttled up engines, arcing into an attack vector near instantly at 18 Gs and climbing fast. The drone is locked onto Superior, I announced, watching my displays. It's firing! Superior is hit! Thruster cones are gone! The boat is returning fire! Missiles jumped out of the Marcan in classic broadsides, first port, then starboard, sweeping out in tight loops, pushing quickly and with increasing speeds towards the oncoming robot. The machine spoke again. It never stopped, really, stabbing out particle beams like stuttering bolts of lightning. With each flash, one of Superior's missiles disappeared from my board. In under ten seconds, only one missile was left to intersect vectors. The robot pulled an evasive corkscrew, but its little antagonist must have had a proximity fuse. It burst when close, to absolutely no effect. The drone regained its original course without pause or hesitation. It re-established a lock on the gunboat, a sequence which in my display was portrayed in glowing red. His feed still open. Owlish surprise hung upon Alan Small's face as he checked his boards and heard the calamitous cries of Hap Larendell and Delay Maharn, his crew, his cronies, and one of them his lover. Without thinking, I cut in my audio and shouted so he could hear, so it would be the last thing he heard. Is there anything else I can get for you, Mr. Small? He had just turned his purchased face to the camera, eyes filled with shock, when the drone fired again and Superior was torn in half. The gunboat's aft end ripped free in a burst of plasmized armor and superstructure. External opticals showed a single fiery flash that consumed blown Atmo, and then the fore end rolled over and away in a crazy spasm of incredible angles, glowing vapor, and shattered hull fragments. The attack had cleaved apart the very molecules of the boat, splitting it like an overripe grape under a boot heel, a vessel so solid it might have buried itself into a mountainside from low orbit and still have been mostly intact. The interaction of the strike on the dense matter of the hull released a burst of localized high-energy particles, deadly enough to kill anyone aboard. A shockwave through all the matter of the vessel would have followed by nanoseconds, causing a dense and comprehensive web of microfissures in all rigid materials not instantly torn asunder, and equally deep and ubiquitous cellular ruptures on all biological ones.
Megawatts of intense electrical discharge would have partnered it, overwhelming and frying all circuits aboard, manufactured or neural. Death from high-energy radiation. Death from kinetic shock. Death from electrical shock. Death from explosion. Heat. Flying shrapnel and a short-lived inferno. And it was all right there as performance art, as music, as a purely delightful thing. I believe I showed my teeth at the sight of it. A smile, a grimace, I don't know which. Emergency prox alarms sounded on all channels. Brace for collision, Ailerata called, and I was shaken from the moment. Literally, snapped from one side to the other in the wobbly seat, my helmet slamming into bulkheads. Gunnery as a whole blurred. Cables came loose and flew free in the vacuum. Lights on half my systems winked out. Everything whirled. Superiors aft, tumbling in a mist of tiny wreckage and glowing, sundered matter, slammed into our port side. Griselda spun off axis, artificial gravity, and then inertial compensators failing halfway through the first revolution. When stabilizers kicked in, I was thrown again to one side as the ship and its pilot desperately tried to regain control. People were screaming from all stations, and the one half of my boards that still drew power flickered in stroboscopic madness. It seemed to go on for hours, yet was likely only seconds. Inertia finally eased as the ship responded to Ailerata's touch. It eased, eased, and then faded off. I was stunned. I was sitting there, quite motionless, yet everything was still spinning. I focused on my boards, using them as drag lines to slow myself down, to return to the right speed the right place. Missile control was dead. Lanterns were still hot, but now well out of true. Uh, they, they needed recalibration. In fact, they seemed to be bent on their slender stalks, but somehow still functional. I set about readjusting targeting lines without conscious thought. My gloved hands pressed this. The eye tracker in the goggles noted that. First the ventral, then the dorsal gun came online. Amazingly, impossibly unharmed at the end of their thin, warped spars. They showed targeting reticles which swept over random space, finding and tracking the largest pieces of the gunboat, now rolling away in opposite directions like stove-in barrels on a fast sea. Random bits of plastic, metal, and who knew what else floated inside my closet and out in the companionway. What had happened to my door? All hands, sound off, Carmi called. And one by one, Griselda's children, her little people and her little guests were accounted for. We were all alive. Ejok, are you seeing this? What is it, Paz? The drone he almost whispered. It's locked onto us. It won't attack yet. How do you know? It killed Superior for firing on Griselda, for hitting us when they shot at the missile. Deskew wants the data block, remember? He has to protect it until he can get here himself. 
He sent the drone to prevent us from escaping and to protect us from Alan Small. Well, now that machine has us in its sights. It's just on heightened alert, probably waiting for new orders. The bad news is that they won't be long in coming. The Baron's in a corner now. He has to either make a stand or cut his losses. The moment Fleet jumped in, the whole game changed. His thin face, clear in my goggles from his own suit's internal camera, showed fear and confusion as he tried to follow my far-flung conclusions. I might have continued, but I had serious tech problems. Engineering, my dual power feed is down to mono. I need help. You have nothing? Carmi asked, with more calmness than I think could have been mustered from all the rest of the crew combined. Missiles are down. I have new packs, but my nav feed is dead. No sensors and no targeting. Is must to be breakers amidships, Ben Roggenston stated over the open channel. Well, I have no S2 awareness until they're reset. You said amidships? Is it the one you had trouble with before? Talk me through it. I'll do it myself. Relax, sunshine. Sherry chirped, her own stress just an undercurrent. I'm right here. I stuck my head through the open doorway, and she really was right there, in her trim pressure suit with the clear bubble helmet. She was just gliding to a stop in front of that same breaker box, a mere three meters to my left. The panel door was marked B-Box 17, in Candy's plain block letters. Idly, I noticed my closet door spinning slowly further down, hinges torn right off. Wow, thanks. Not a problem. Hold on. She frowned inside her bubble, poking at the internals of the electrical system with a non-conductive pry tool. Gasto, she called. This thing is melted. We must have caught a jumping plasma arc from the boat when it got hit. I need a replacement for the G.H. Breaker Gang. Ah, and he swore in low speak. Swap with MN is for backing up of gravities in center of ship. Almost same size. It'll fit? Is must is all we have right now. Replacements done in cargo. I can pull them out, Candy injected. But they were buried when we moved everything. I'll need time. We don't have time, Carmi stated. Proceed with the swap. Speaking of gravity, I interrupted, because I felt useless, so I drew comfort from complaining. When are we getting back grav and inertials? Whenever Bin Rogenstein finishes tea break, Jacques must to be not talking now. My overheads in the closet were off, and half the lights in the companionway were out. Same system. I couldn't see very well, therefore, to reconnect those cables. My suit floods were pretty good, but working in a tight space meant that every time I moved or shifted as I reached for something, the lighting moved too, and I continually lost track of what I was looking at. I did manage to find and reconnect them, but it was slow and annoying. The con pipe was floating loose as well, but wearing the suit, I couldn't reach back there to plug it in. Do you have a thin clamp about yay long? I asked Sherry, leaning out with hands apart. She was trying to manipulate the good breaker gang with a small pry bar without chipping its ceramic housing, and she didn't look my way. Maybe. I don't know. You you mind? Give me a second here. Ejock, Ailareta broke in then, sounding nervous, even scared. I 
I don't think the drone is going to leave us alone. It's approaching. I have no feed down here, Paz. What do you see? It's changed course. Um, one six three by eight two by two two two. Oh man, that's an attack vector. The robot was about to blow us out of the sky. But why now? Why? Oh, right. Fifty minutes one way. The Baron had made his choice. Gunnery was down, useless. Without the con pipe, it was all just junk. But that grainy touchscreen was still active, and I hesitated. Pride? It had to be pride. As I brought up the basic defense package once more, I thought I caught a glimpse off to the side of a smirking young ghost. Give me exact plotting points, I said to the chief pilot. He read off the angle of the drone's approach, as displayed by active radar being fed to Helm, and I punched it in. Then I opened the sim. Crap! My list of standbys was gone, lost in the sudden shutdown. Quickly, desperately, I opened my personal archive, past my gold standard routines, past my good but outdated ones, past the top quality sims that were incompatible with this equipment. I dove into the dumping ground reserved for that trash I routinely sucked up off the gunnery boards. All the silly stuff, all the nonsense. I quickly found what I wanted. I had just been through these files, after all, right after the owner's meeting. The guy had a directory all his own. That dilettante with the kit boat. That retiree with the sad delusion he was something he wasn't. The routine was one I had only half remembered, one that I'd chuckled over, laughed at, and commented upon sarcastically in the gunnery groups. A buffoonish scenario which no one would or could ever need, the scribblings of an arrogant fool. DEW only fast attack bogey versus particle polar defense capability by Adam Richards, senior engineer, Galaxy Wide Software Incorporated, retired. It loaded slowly, fragilely, because his encoding was so old fashioned it was nearly obsolete. People always told him so, and he always argued with them. The guy was a total crank and at least half a troll at heart. Yet he did have his defenders, and if I lived through the next few minutes, I'd be one of them. Two critical errors kept popping up. One was a command misdirect. That was simple. The drone is breaking. It's still got a lock, Ailerata shouted. Carmi spoke over the open channel with weight and authority. All hands, take hold! The second error was from a lack of targeting data. The scenario stopped in its tracks. Had it been running on the actual gunnery hardware, I could have bypassed this problem. The basic defense program, though, working from the ship's main computer, was inflexible, intractable. It simply wouldn't load without a sensor feed. With dual power still down, half my closet was dead, including the helm deck. No deck, no feed. But I could use another comp interface somewhere on the ship. One that wasn't damaged. Yes, yes, I could call it up from anywhere. I... No. No, I couldn't. 
Without the con pipe, my archives wouldn't talk to the rest of Griselda. I would have to reload them into whatever interface I used just to get access to the scenario. Too long, too long. Sherry! I yelled over Com. I need that breaker! No! I have it! The other half of my board suddenly came to life. Secondary circuits, missile solution hardware, debugging tools. But all I cared about was sensors, and they were now green. With a gesture, I skipped standard system-on diags and initiated that crazy routine. I have guns, I shouted, as the basic package showed ready and power levels in the lanterns jumped to full. Wave, swipe, commit. The simulation became a live fire order. Outside the ship, two spattering, ropey lances of purple plasma jumped from our little new packs. Out there on the ends of their twisted spars, polarized beams arcing through space to roughly 500 meters distance before pulling back down to meet in the middle. The beams were set on a bi-locked nanocycle, spinning about randomly so quickly as to appear to the human eye to be a glowing bubble surrounding Griselda's bulky, battered form, a warping, wobbly stutter-mode sphere, the like of which I'd never seen, never thought to see, and would never ever have created on my own, simply out of professional pride. And this was only half the scenario. Gunnery. Broken, but still working. Dead, but still alive. I felt a surge of pride, mingled with terror. Sherry! I shouted. Brace! The S2 didn't need me anymore, and I leaned out for her, because if we were hit, and she wasn't secure... Wait, it's loose! It's popping out! She called, pushing at the breaker gang with one hand, a tiny tool in the other. I have to wedge it. System alerts splashed across my equipment, across my faceplate. Overheads and dedicated warning lights strobed. Sherita, be strapping in! Bin Roggenstein bellowed from down in engineering. He'd have added up each factor in his head, from the nature of the weapon that was about to strike to the skills and personality of the assistant engineer, who was very much the daughter he'd never had. With horrific clarity, I think he saw it all, everything that was happening inside and out, and his voice was all terror, all desperation. Got it, she called. I grabbed at her but could barely move in the tight seat. Arm out, hand open, fingers grasping vacuum. I stretched healing ribs feeling them pull, feeling them stab, touching nothing, calling, shouting. She looked over, already on the move, smile bright and genuine, brown cheeks ruddy, shining dark eyes aflame with excitement and triumph. She was so pretty. So smart, so happy to be a spacer, to be surrounded by those she loved and who loved her. And she was coming to me, smiling through clear glass, despite the danger, because of the danger. A woman I could give myself to, a woman I barely knew, wreathed in light, then swallowed by darkness. 
You have been listening to Street Candles, written and read by David Collins Rivera. You can check out my site at cavalcadeaudio.com or drop me an email at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called Icor by Trunks and can be found on soundcloud.com. The Street Candles theme is called Undercover by Karsten Holy Moly and can be found on dig.ccmixter.org. This production is otherwise copyright 2013 by David Collins Rivera and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. Street Candles is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person living or dead or any particular place or situation. Thank you for listening. Take care.